First Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning at verse 9. Uh, today, we're going to look at Paul's uh, preparation of this little local church in Thessalonica for the coming of the Lord. Uh, if you remember last week, um, Paul was seeking to, to prepare the Thessalonians for the afflictions that they were destined to deal with. In fact, he tells them there in the first couple verses of chapter 3 that we are destined by God. Uh, afflictions are not accidents. They are appointments by God. And, and he said, look, these things are going to happen to us. So we've got to have a faith that is strong enough and sturdy enough to be able to stand up to the pressures and the afflictions and the trials and all of that. And he was concerned that once he heard that these afflictions really were pressing in on this local church and he and his companions were no longer there, how was their faith standing up? Had they been prepared? And so he sends Timothy to them and he, Timothy comes back and basically shares with the missionary team that planted the church in Thessalonica that yes, they are doing well. They are standing up. They're standing firm in the Lord. But it was all about preparing us as believers to stand strong and stand firm when affliction comes. Today, Paul is going to share with them some thoughts on preparing them, again, to stand one day in the very presence of their Lord, to be ready for the coming of the Lord or when they meet Him. In fact, you'll see there in verse um, 13 of chapter 3, the very last verse of this chapter, He speaks to them and talks to them about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints and about being before our God and Father at His coming. And Paul has mentioned the coming of the Lord and being in the very visible presence of God at the end of every chapter of this letter. And, and starting in a couple weeks, we're really going to zero in on the teaching that Paul gives about the coming of the Lord and being in His presence. But Paul has mentioned it throughout his letter. And he now is using the passage we're going to look at today to say to his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in Thessalonica, Are you ready? to be in the presence of the Lord? Are you ready for His coming? Are you prepared to meet Him? And this is something Paul wants every believer to think about. In a sense, Paul is saying the best way for us as Christians to live our lives is from the time we are going to meet Jesus backwards. In other words, where do we want to be when Jesus comes? In, in what state spiritually? How, how healthy do we want to be? Don't, don't we want to be in a place where if Jesus were to come or we would be taken home to, to be with Him, that we would be in a good place? So Paul says, if that's where you want to be, then you and I need to begin to think about then what we want our life to look like now so that we can be ready and prepared when that day comes. Comes. It's not something we're going to be able to, to do at the last minute. Those preparations start right here and now. And Jesus even talked a lot about this in the parables when he says, you know, he would talk about like the landowner going far away and then coming again and, you know, reckoning the accounts and all of that. And he says, what are you going to be doing while he's away? And picturing the fact that Jesus went back to heaven, but he's coming back someday, you know, and Jesus would say, 
Are you going to be living your lives, you know, ready for that day? And so Jesus even used many of his teachings to talk about this as well. So in this great passage of scripture, that's where Paul's heart's at. He's already prepared them as best as he can for for them to stand firm during afflictions. Now he wants to prepare them to be ready for the coming of the Lord when they are before their God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. So beginning in verse 9 of chapter 3, because we ended with verse 8 last week, let's pick it up. And Paul, again, after he hears this good news coming back from Timothy, that they are standing firm in the Lord, he says, How can we thank God enough for you, for all the joy we feel because of you before our God? Notice again the heart of Paul that needs to be our heart. That Paul gets a thrill, if you will. He he is cheered up. He is refreshed. He is filled with joy when he hears how other Christians are thriving and growing in their spiritual life. And I even said last week, how often do we live our lives that way? That that we, in a sense, are picked up and, and refreshed and strengthened and encouraged by hearing how well other Christians are living their life. That they're being faithful to the Lord. That they're serving the Lord. That they're standing firm in the Lord. Paul said, this brought me great joy. This cheered me up. This this brought great gladness to my life when I heard how well you were doing. You see, again, it reminds us of that synergy and and that, uh, you know, uh, connection that you and I are to have as brothers and sisters in Christ and how we can feed off each other in a positive way. In fact, he goes on to say in verse 10, we pray earnestly night and day to see you in person. For Paul, it wasn't about, you know, ever being at a distance. He told them back in chapter 3 and chapter 2, we wanted to come to you, but Satan continued to thwart us and how we talked about how the enemy will seek to hinder us from coming together and being together because it's all about relationships in eternity. Paul's already talked about that. And so Paul says, I can't wait till I can see you in person, till we can be face to face. Because Paul says... That's what it's all about. You know, it's great to write letters and and it's great to to correspond and, 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 you know, be able to stay in touch to a point. But there's nothing that replaces person to person. There's nothing that replaces face to face. There's a dynamic that happens when you and I come together, which is why the church is called by God to come together. To be here together, face to face with each other. It's why, can I tell you, it grieves me as a pastor when I see that the church has gotten to the point in our day and age where pastors uh, aren't live in many places anymore, touching people and being face to face with people. They're plastered on a screen and it's through video. And I think to myself, that's not the way God ever intended church to be. God said there's something that happens when we get together person to person, face to face, you see. In fact, again, as much as I love the fact that we do video 
And we have podcasts, and for those that miss for whatever reason that they can listen, there's still nothing that replaces actually being in the place itself with other believers around us. You still miss something there. You gain something, yes, but you miss something because there's a dynamic that takes place when we are physically together, you see. And Paul realized that as well. And so notice Paul says, we pray that earnestly we may see you in person and make up what may be lacking in your faith. Now, Paul's already commended these folks over and over again. He said, I'm so thankful for you. You bring such joy because I know how strong you are and how well you're doing. But Paul wants to acknowledge something with them and, and make something very clear to them. And it's something that's going to prepare them to stand before the Lord one day and to be ready when he comes. And that is to have an attitude that there's always room in my life as a Christian to keep growing to keep making progress, to mature, to always be able to make improvement, no matter how much I've grown and no matter how far I've come as a Christian, there's always room for improvement. The largest room at the Oasis Church will always be the room for improvement. Paul does not want complacency to begin to to seep in to the Thessalonian church. He doesn't want any of them to feel like they've gotten to a place where they are satisfied with where they're at, where they feel like they've arrived. Because folks, that kind of a mindset, that kind of attitude will never prepare us for the coming of the Lord. We always need to be in a spiritual environment. And we always need to even feel individually that there's always something lacking in our faith. There's something we need to be working on. There's something that's defective and deficient. And when Paul talks about the word faith here, he's speaking about our response and our reliance on God. That's really when you boil down what faith is all about. That's what faith is. It's how we are responding to God and how we are relying on him every day. And Paul said, for all of us as Christians, we should always acknowledge and be big enough and humble enough to say, there's always something I could be working on as far as my response to God and my reliance on God. And so Paul, notice, is saying, when I get there, I'm hoping that God will use me to be able to build up your faith and strengthen your faith and, and make your faith even stronger than it already is. So notice something else Paul's saying here. That God has chosen as part of his plan to use fellow Christians to build up the faith of fellow Christians. Did you notice that? Paul doesn't say, well, God will send this to you or he'll... No, Paul said, when I get there, my prayer is that God will allow me to help you and whatever is lacking in your faith. Now, Paul obviously was humble himself. He knew that there were things lacking in his life as well. So it's a mutual, reciprocal thing. But the big point I want to make is really twofold. The first thing Paul is saying here is that what prepares us to, for the coming of the Lord and to be in his presence is to have an attitude of, of growth in the area of faith always. That our faith should always be growing and we should never be satisfied, complacent, or feel like we've arrived. 
And then the second thing here in this verse is the fact that God uses us and chooses to use us to grow each other's faith. That's why, again, if I had hair, I'd pull it out. When I hear statements from people who say, I don't need to go to a local church. I can worship God on my own. That kind of a statement has a total misunderstanding of what the Bible teaches about church and why God created the local church. The local church wasn't about whether you and I can alone worship God. Of course we can. But the local church was created and called out by God so that brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow believers, could come together and use the opportunities when we are face to face to build each other up in our faith, to grow our faith, to encourage one another. That's what the local church is. So when people say that, when even people who claim to be Christians say that, what I hear them saying is, I'm all about me. I'm selfish. Because I'm not going to church because I can do this on my own. Well, what about your brothers and sisters in Christ? Don't you care about maybe God using you to somehow build them up and encourage them and refresh them and and do something that might be lacking in their faith? That's why God created the local church. It's again, it's not about us. It's about others. Well, I could speak about that longer, but we'll move on. (laughs) Then Paul says in verse 11, something else. Not only do we need to have an attitude where we are continually growing in our faith, we need to always keep growing in our love. Notice he says, now may God, our father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all, just as we do for you. We should always keep growing in our faith and we should always keep growing in our love. You'll see this theme throughout this passage. Notice, first of all, the words increase and abound. It means to exist in abundance, to be multiplied, to excel, to exceed. Paul again is saying, you are a loving church. You're a loving group of people in Thessalonica, but don't be satisfied with where you are in your love for each other. Make sure that if you are preparing yourselves to be in the presence of God and you're going to be ready when Jesus comes, that you always grow in your faith and you always know that you can grow in your love for one another. That should be the attitude. That should be the mindset. And notice he says, may the Lord cause you. Because you and I, we can't cause each other to love each other more, but God can. God can change hearts. God can make us more loving. And God has already said, and we're going to see this even on Wednesday night, God has given us his Holy Spirit to live within us. He's already given us the capability, the capacity, the ability, the power, the strength to be able to love each other through the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And because of that, Paul is saying, let God take over your life so that you can keep loving each other. And not just keep loving each other, Make your love for each other increase and abound more and more every day. Don't ever be satisfied with where our relationships are at. 
We should always be striving to love each other more and to seek ways to love. Because let's remember too, love in the Bible is a very active word. I can't just say I love somebody. Love is doing something. It's showing in a very uh, tangible, visible way that we love each other. As James even said, anybody can say, I I love you. But it's when we truly love each other. And Jesus said, this is a distinguishing mark of my disciples, that you would have love for each other. That's, That's it. And let's remember, too, that even again from our study Wednesday night, we learned that love is a discriminating affection that always involves choice and selection. If I say I love someone or something, then that means that the choices and decisions that I make every day will be driven and fueled by that love. And that means if I love this, that means I've got to say no then to other things. Because I cannot love everything and everyone equally. There's got to be choice. That's why God said through John... In our study of First John, love not the world. Because if you love the world, then the love of the Father is not in you. Because you and I can't say, I love God. I choose God. I prefer God. God's my love of my life, and yet live for other things. No. See, love of the world and love of God are mutually exclusive. You, you, you and I can't do that together. Either we will love God or we will love the things in the world that the world offers us. And so that's why God says the greatest commandment needs to be love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And the reason why that is because you and I very rarely do anything in our life without considering how it's going to affect us. And the Bible says, then why don't we do that with each other? Why don't everything we choose to do or choose not to do, we think about, how does this affect other people? How does this affect my brothers and sisters in Christ? Do I take that into consideration? That's love. And that's the kind of love that Paul says we need to keep growing in. We need to keep increasing in. We should never think that we've arrived in the area of love. This group of people here at the Oasis, you are a great loving group of people. But again, I think God is saying to us as a church, keep growing in your faith. Don't be satisfied where you are and keep growing in your love for each other. Because I believe that what God has prepared for us ahead, we're going to need to be a church that's not satisfied with where we've come and, and what we've achieved so far. But to be in a place where we say, God, you're right. There are still things lacking. There are still things that are defective and deficient in our response and our reliance on you, both as a church and as individuals within that church. Help us to keep growing, God. And then also, God, help us to keep loving each other even more and more. To increase, to abound in our love, Paul says. That will prepare us for the coming of the Lord. And then Paul says in verse 13, If we set ourselves on a track or path where we are growing in our faith and growing in our love, notice the result, verse 13. So that your hearts are strengthened in holiness to be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Paul is simply saying there that when you and I 
are willing to grow in our faith and grow in our love and community with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we will also then stay focused, which is really what Paul's talking about here. He uses the word heart because that's sort of our inner man. That's our spiritual core. And Paul says, I want your spiritual core to be so strong. And the word strengthened here in verse 13 speaks about being fixed resolutely in a certain direction. Let me repeat that. The word strengthened here means to be fixed resolutely in a certain direction. So what Paul's talking about here is a fixed focus. Paul says, if you and I are going to be ready for the Lord's return, we got to stay focused. And the reason why that's so important is because if it was true 2,000 years ago when this was written, it's even more true today. There are so many distractions out there today. There are so many, again, enticements and distractions that pull Christians away from what we really need to be focused on. And Paul says, I am praying and preparing you to not only grow in faith, not only keep growing in love, but to get to a place in your life where you are so fixed in your focus that you can stay focused no matter what is thrown out there to distract you. It speaks about putting all of our energy into one's pursuit. You could use the word wholeheartedness. You could use the word single-mindedness. That's what Paul means when he says to be strengthened in holiness and to become blameless. That's what those words speak of. Does that describe our church? Does that describe our individual Christian life? Are we putting all of our energy into one pursuit? Are we being wholehearted and single-minded in our relationship with God? Paul says, when you and I get to that place, that's when you and I truly become prepared for the coming of the Lord. In fact, keep your finger in 1 Thessalonians for just a moment and go back just a couple books to the book of Philippians. Back through Colossians and then to Philippians chapter 3. I want you to see here where Paul, in another letter to another local church, is, is basically describing this mindset. And he's using himself as an example. He's saying, this is the place that I've come in my own Christian life, and this is all I care about now. And he's sharing this with the Philippians, hoping that they will capture Paul's sort of hard as well and, and, and say, that's what we want our focus to be about. That's what we want to put all of our energy into. That's what we want to be wholehearted and single-minded about. So notice beginning in verse 7, or no, more, verse 8 of chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. More than that, Paul says, I now regard all things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Indeed, I regard them as dung that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not because I have my own righteousness derived from the law, but because I have the righteousness that comes by the way of Christ's faithfulness, a righteousness from God that is in fact based on Christ's faithfulness. My aim is to know Him to experience the power of His resurrection, to share in His sufferings, to be like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained this. That is, not that I've already been perfected, or we could say arrived. But I strive to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Brothers and sisters, 
I do not consider myself to have attained this. Instead, I am single-minded, forgetting the things that are behind and reaching out for the things that are ahead. With this goal in mind, I strive toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's Paul's description of what we're talking about in 1 Thessalonians 3.13. That's Paul putting all of his energy into one pursuit. To go after the prize of the high calling of God in Christ. To know Christ more. That was, that's what his wholehearted, single-minded effort of life was all in. And Paul says, when you and I as Christians, when we as a church, when we say, that's our goal. Paul says, that, that's the kind of mindset that prepares us for the coming of the Lord. To be ready when he returns. And can I say, as a church that again, is going through the process of of building buildings and all of that, I think, again, that's why God wants us to go through this. Because it's never going to be about the buildings even after they're built. It's God taking us as a group of believers through this process so that through this process, you and I can grow in our faith, in our response and reliance to God. It's so that you and I, through this process, can grow and increase and abound in our love towards each other more and more. It's so that in this process, even though it's wonderful that God has given us that land and we will one day have our own church that we can call our home church, that it's always still going to be about keeping our focus on knowing Christ more and more. That's why I was sharing the other day with a few folks, and I will continue to do so, how important it is for me as the pastor of this church that through this process, as much that needs to be accomplished and as many people from our church family that we need to pull in and and have to be a part of all this, that the value for me isn't going to be just getting those buildings up and moving in. It's going to be about where are we relationally with God as a church and with each other through this process and when that process ends. Because it's not going to do to me, us, any good to build a beautiful building on Greenfield Road if we've lost relationships in the process. If there, if there, if there are people that aren't, can't be friends with each other anymore because of the process that we had to go through. See, for me, the more important thing is that through this process, we actually grow in our love for each other. And we learn as a community of believers to come together and work together and work towards a common goal with each other like never before. That's why God gives us these opportunities. Not to build buildings, but to grow in our faith and grow in our love and to stay focused on what's really important in our lives. That's what it's all about. And that can't start when that church is finished. See, that has to start now while we're still at Basha. Which is why God is doing tremendous work right now with us as his people. Because just like Paul with the Thessalonians, he's preparing us. He wants us to be in a place so when we do get over there, he can use us in even greater, more effective ways then he's even used us here. Which leads me to two other verses, beginning in chapter 4, where Paul is saying, finally then, brothers and sisters, and don't you like preachers when they use the word finally? Because he's still got like two more chapters to write. 
It's the way pastors are, you know. Finally then, brothers and sisters, we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus that just as you received instruction from us about how you must live and please God as in fact you are living, that you do so, again, here's these words, more and more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Over and over again in this passage on preparing God's people to to meet Him and to stand before Him and to be ready when He comes. Notice again how often He uses the word either lacking or increase or abound or now the phrase more and more. He's saying, look, you guys in Thessalonica, my brothers and sisters, you're living well. Your lifestyle is, is well, but don't be satisfied with where your life is. Continue to excel. Continue to increase in excellence in the way you are living life. That's what the words more and more mean. And they also mean this. The words more and more, the words increase that Paul uses here in this passage or abound, speak about prioritizing or ranking things in our life. Because that's really what it comes down to. How do I keep growing in my faith? How do I keep growing in love? How do I stay focused? I do it through the process of prioritizing or ranking things in my life. To elevate in our lives what is better over even what is good. Because the enemy, if you will, the spiritual enemy of many Christians is not what's bad. It's actually what's good. Hang in there with me. What I mean by that is many Christians are up, are occupying their lives and pouring their time and energy into good things, but maybe not what's the better thing, the best thing. And see, that's why Satan is so subtle, because many times he can get Christians involved in good things. And many times in our life, the decisions as a Christian will not be between what's good and what's bad, because that's pretty obvious. And I'm not saying that there aren't Christians, and even in my life, that I haven't chosen something bad. I have. But most of the time, it's going to be choices between what's good and what's good. And then I, as a Christian, have to figure out through God, between these two good things that I could be occupying myself with, that I could be pouring my time and energy to, what's the best thing? That's learning to prioritize, you see. And that's what Paul's talking about here. In fact, again, you don't have to keep your finger there. We won't be coming back. Turn back to the book of Philippians, to chapter 1, where Paul again repeats this same principle to the Philippian Christians. And notice how he ties this idea of learning to prioritize or rank things in my life with the coming of the Lord. I'm going to begin at verse 9, but the verse I really want to concentrate on is verse 10 of chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, I'll begin at verse 9. And I pray this, that your love may abound even more and more 
We've already talked about that, right? See, this is a common theme, right, for Christians. In knowledge and every kind of insight, here it is, so that you as a Christian can decide not what is good, but what is best, and thus be sincere and blameless for the day of Christ. In other words, it's only when we as Christians truly learn how to prioritize and rank things in our life will we be ready when the Lord comes, when we'll be prepared, when we will continue to be growing in faith, growing in love, and staying focused. Those things can only happen when one thing happens in my life, when I learn as a follower of Jesus Christ how to prioritize my life. In fact, the word decides here means to, after comparing value, I choose what is superior. So there's a couple things there. First of all, I have to be a person that I compare the value of things before I make a choice. Some Christians don't even get to that place. See, God is saying to us, if I want to be a person that can prioritize things, I have to look at my life and the decisions and choices before me. And I have to say, okay, I have two things here. And now I have to, with God's help, compare the value of these two things. And many times where we as Christians get caught up is when we're at that place in our life, we're only thinking of it from a physical and material viewpoint. We're not looking at these two decisions from a spiritual viewpoint. In other words, what is spiritually most valuable to me? And then, sort of the second part of that is, if I even get to the place where I choose what is spiritually most valuable to me, do I have the courage and the strength to follow through and choose what is superior for me spiritually? That's what it means to decide what is best. In fact, in the original language, it literally means to distinguish what differs. That's literally what it means. That I have to realize as a human being that no two decisions are exactly alike. No two choices are exactly alike. There's always going to be something that differs between this choice and that choice. Something that distinguishes this choice from that choice. And I've got to learn as a Christian, if I want to keep growing in my faith, growing in my love for my brothers and sisters in Christ and for all people, and to stay focused spiritually where I need to stay, I've got to learn to decide what is not good, but what is best. What is of highest value to me and to my brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, let me remind you, as we think about this concept, of a story that's very familiar to us out of the Gospels. It's the story of Mary and Martha. You know the story. You've heard it many times. And if you read that story and you study that passage of Scripture, it's very interesting that when Jesus is sort of I wouldn't say even chastising Martha, but, but he's, he's speaking to her pretty firmly that he doesn't tell Martha, Martha, what you're doing is bad. In fact, her service and her being busy and trying to make all these preparations is a good thing. And he never says that, Martha, what you're doing by running around your house and getting all this stuff ready is bad. He doesn't say that to her. But here's what he does say. At the end of that passage, he says, but don't get on your sister's case for what she has chosen. 
Because her choice was best. Same word Jesus uses there that Paul uses here. He says to her, she made the best choice. It wasn't a choice of good or bad. Martha being busy serving and preparing and getting everything ready, nothing wrong with that. But Jesus said, your sister decided that I could be up and busy and doing all this stuff or I could be sitting at the feet of Jesus for just a few minutes and soaking up some time with Him. And Jesus says, she chose what was best. As she compared the value of what was greatest value to her, she chose being in the presence of Jesus. Sitting at His feet. That's the choice that Jesus commended Mary for. He didn't necessarily condemn Martha's choice. He simply pointed out that at that moment in your life, your sister chose what was best. That's where God wants us to get to. Many of us struggle with keeping our priorities where they need to be. That so often life takes over and, and we begin to put our time and energy and effort and thoughts and, and, and we get occupied with things that if we just stopped for a moment and began to consider, we go, is this really bringing spiritual benefit and value into my life? Or could I begin to make some different choices in my life and begin to rearrange my priorities? And maybe for some of us, what that means is even letting go of something that's good so that I can pick up and lay hold of and take hold of what's better and what's best. This is the message that Paul had for the church at Thessalonica. This is what Paul said will help prepare us for the coming of the Lord and to be in His presence. What priorities may God want us to change or rearrange in our life today? Let's pray. God, we thank You that You have brought us into fellowship with You and into fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that, God, one day you have given every Christian the hope, the confidence, the assurance that one day we're going to be with you. We're going to stand in your presence. And we're going to forever be with the Lord. But, Lord, we also know that your word teaches us that for us as Christians, why you leave us here on this earth and you don't zap us to heaven as soon as we get saved is because you want our life to be a positive influence and to have a positive effect on other human beings around us. You want our light to shine, to shine clearly, to shine boldly for you. And yet, God, we can't do that if we don't keep growing. If we become complacent and comfortable and satisfied with where we're at. And God will never keep growing in our life 
If we don't keep prioritizing our life, if we don't make God what's really important, the most important, if we don't put the big rocks in first, then they'll never get in. God, help us to choose and decide what is best for us. It may not be what's best for us physically or materially, but Lord, if it's better for us spiritually, then that's good. That's as good as it gets. So God, give us the discernment and the perception today to to be able to make differences and to see differences between the choices that we have before us and then give us the courage and the strength to choose what's best, what's superior in our lives. And God, we know that we can't do this on our own. We desperately need you. So help us to rely and depend and lean upon you, God, every day, every hour of the day so that we can enjoy life and experience life at the very highest level. And so that our life can shine out for Jesus Christ wherever you put us. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Let's sing this song of dedication to the Lord this morning.